You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. You know, when we were at our church plant in Florida, one of the things that we had to do each and every week was set up and tear down. We met in a middle school, and so what that meant was we had to make a middle school not look like a middle school and try to make it look a little bit more like a church. It's the kind of thing that makes you long to have your own church building. And what that meant was every Friday after school in the afternoon, we would gather together and a team of us would have to put up all of the sound equipment and all of the lighting and uh, all of the stuff in order to make this school building not look so much like a school building. So you would have all the parents would gather together and we would do the work. A lot of times the kids would gather together and they would run the school hallways and have a lot of fun. Uh, But the the wonderful thing about it was the group of people and the team that really came together in order to make that happen. And what would happen is at the end of almost every Friday night when we would finish, uh, we might get together. We might hang out with one another and uh, we might decide, hey, let's go and get some pizza. Let's bring it back to the house uh, and, and let's hang out. So a lot of times we might hang out on a Friday evening. But of course, on Sunday mornings, after it was all over, we would have to do the same thing again, but now we would do it in reverse. And so the good thing about Sunday mornings is how there were more people there to help. So we would have a number of people who would be able to kind of lend their hands and we would be able to take everything down. But there was usually a handful of us, I would say maybe four to six families, where after it was all done, we might say, hey, let's go and grab lunch meat and sandwiches. Let's come back to the house and let's just hang out together. And so we'd uh, sometimes fellowship with one another that way. Or oftentimes we might gather together at a local restaurant. And so we happened on this particular occasion to go to a local restaurant, Chili's. Well, while we were there, we did this very thing that we've encouraged many of you to do. Uh, We gathered, and as the meal was being served, we asked our waiter, is there anything for which we can pray? And so he said, well, you know what? There actually is. He said, I'm kind of semi-estranged from my girlfriend, and this week for our daughter is a birthday. And so we're celebrating my daughter's birthday, but it was like, we I really don't have a lot, don't know necessarily what to do, and so want to provide a, a good birthday for my daughter. And so we said, well, can we pray for you? He's like, yeah, of course. And so he sat right down next to us, we laid hands on him, we prayed for him. And so he was like, thank you so much for praying for me. Well, Throughout the conversation and throughout the meal, somebody who was there had this idea, you know what, let's just bless the socks off of this young man. And so we decided, all right, let's go ahead and do that. So uh, each of us, when our bill came, we tipped him off of our own bill. And then what we decided to do is we just kind of pulled together all of the cash that we had on hand. And so when the kid came up, we gave him all of our checks But then we had this wad of cash, and and it's probably at least over a couple hundred dollars, and we just said, hey, we just want to bless you today. You know, we love Jesus, and we want to love you, and we want you to go and just to have this 
wonderful birthday party. Bless your daughter. And uh, the guy just starts crying. He's just like, wow, thank you so much. And it wasn't like we had a lot in order to be able to give to him. You know, when you empty out your wallet, you know, you're kind of like, you know, I can't believe we're about to do this. And, uh, but just to be able to bless this kid, to be able to see the joy that was on his face when we gave to him, the blessing that we received from being able to give to him in this way, and just to see the impact that it had. Well, when the time came the following week for us to go out to dinner, where do you think we went? We went back to Chili's. And it wasn't for the baby back ribs. All right? We wanted to find out what happened. And so we went back again and uh, talked to him, got to hear the report of what happened and how he was able to throw this incredible party and some of the gifts that he had gotten. Uh, and so the next week, we went back again. And we just wanted to be able to see him, to have these conversations, to find out exactly what was going on. Now, I'll share with you a little bit more about that story with this young man in a little bit, but I say all of this as a way of preparing us for what we're going to be talking about together this morning. This morning, as we continue on in this sermon series on the abundant life, and we've been saying, what does it mean for us to be a disciple? What does a life of discipleship look like? And in week one of this series, we talked a little bit about what does it mean for us to be a gathering church community. A disciple is someone who gathers. You want to gather in order to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then last week we talked about what does it mean for us to be a growing church? How do we grow deep in our faith, wide as a church? And so this is really about growing in our small groups, growing in our own personal spiritual development. And so what does it mean for us to be a church that's also growing? And then this week, we're going to be picking up this next piece, and we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to give, for us to give in love. Now, I'll say this at the very start. This is one of those sermons that pastors don't necessarily like to preach, and you don't necessarily want to hear, uh, because we're going to be talking about finances, and what does it that mean for us to give of our time and our talents and our treasure. Now, most of the time when we say we're going to be talking about giving, you know, the hair kind of stands up on the back of your neck. You probably think to yourself of some of those TV preachers and those evangelists, those hucksters who are always asking for money. And truthfully, at a church like ours, we don't have a lot of these financial sermons, right? It's something that happens maybe once or twice a year. And for the most part, you're fine with it because you don't want to hear about it anyway. And yet, do you know, the Bible actually has a lot to say to us about what we do with our finances. Uh, you know, ha more than half of the parables are about money and finances. Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven or hell which should tell us something about what we do with our time and our talent and our treasure is indeed important. There is something about the relationship that we have with money that ultimately reveals a deeper sense of what is going on in our hearts. 
Jesus understood that what we do with our time and our talent and our treasure is a good indicator of where our hearts really are. Jesus understood that money often has a lot to say to us as well as what it has to say about us. Jesus understood that money can either influence us and dominate our thoughts towards good things, but it can also influence our thoughts and dominate us towards bad things. And Jesus understood that if you don't learn to manage your money, your money is going to manage you. And so you have to see where is it that my heart is and to say, God, how can you help me to be in better control of my finances so that what I see as belonging to you instead of belonging to myself? How can I be better stewards of the gifts that you have given to me? So the question is, what does that look like? Well, this morning, if you've brought your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Luke chapter 16. We're going to be looking together at verses 1 to 15 together, and my guess is that this passage is one you probably haven't heard preached on all that very much. And the reason for that is this passage is actually very confusing. And the reason it's confusing is because when you look at it, it seems like Jesus is praising someone for stealing from their boss. A second reason why it's a little bit confusing and what we have to keep in mind is where this falls in Luke's gospel. It comes immediately after the story of the prodigal son who has stolen, squandered from his father. And yet we see the love of the father as the son returns. And it falls immediately before the story that comes after it, which is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it actually turns a story that most people would think on its head. In those days, people would have assumed that if you're rich, you are a good person. There's a reason why you are rich. God is blessing you. And if you are poor, you are poor for a reason. You have done something wrong. And so God is punishing you. But what do we see in that story? It's that the rich man ends up in hell and the poor man ends up in heaven. And again, this would have been something in that day and age that would have completely shocked the people who were listening. So as we read this passage together, I want us to keep these things in mind and we'll unpack it in just a few moments. But here now, the reading of God's word, uh, Luke chapter 6, 16, run through 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be in management any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, 
take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives this morning. So do you understand why this passage seems a little bit confusing? Uh, you read it, and it seems like God is saying about this master, saying to the manager that, you know what, it's okay that you have stolen from your boss. And it kind of seems like it's okay if you steal from your boss, if you're just going to give it away to someone else. But is this really what this passage is saying? Is this like the ancient equivalent of Robin Hood? That it's all right if you take from the rich uh, in order to give to the poor? Uh, in this story, is the crook really the hero of the story? Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not praising dishonest behavior. He's not saying that what this man did is okay. He is commending him for his shrewdness now you and i think of the word shrewd and we always think that it's probably given in a negative context the interesting thing is that in the original greek this word shrewd can also be translated wise or prudent in fact, there are other stories and other parables where this same word is used, but where the word is translated as wise or as prudent. So it's not that this master is impressed with the fact that he is being cheated by this shrewd man. Rather, he is being praised for the fact that this man was prudent in thinking ahead. Now, Within this text, there are probably four different ways that you could interpret it. And the reason is because you have to remember who is there to hear what it is that Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is not only speaking to his disciples that are there, but you also see that there are Pharisees that are there as well. So Jesus is addressing some different people when he's talking and using this as the context. So first, notice this, that in verse 8, Jesus is reminding his disciples that the children of the world are actually more prudent when it comes to their finances than the children of light. In other words, Jesus is saying you can actually learn from the people of this world about how we should handle finances. Not in stealing, but in being prudent in your planning. Second, in verse 9, Jesus reminds them that instead of using their wealth to exploit others, as the rich so often do, he is saying to them, use the wealth that you have been given to spread it around to the people that are around you. In those days, they often viewed relationships through debts and debtors, through haves and have-nots. That's how you would have all of your interactions with other people. Am I in debt to someone else? And what Jesus is saying is, don't view your relationships through debts and debtors, through the haves and have-nots. Instead, use the resources that you have been given to practice hospitality with one another, to practice reciprocity amongst friends. Third, if you look at verses 10 to 12, Jesus makes the connection of how we use the resources that we have been given. It connects being faithful with very little to being given and faithful with much. In a sense, what he's saying is how we deal with dishonest wealth and what belongs to another says much about how we will deal with true riches and what is not our own, the things that God is going to give us here on earth and in eternity. And verse 13 tells us a fourth interpretation that no person can serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve money. And it's here that he draws the ire of the Pharisees who have been listening in because they see this as being saying something against them and their love of money. But here's the overarching point that Jesus is trying to make in this story. That all of our wealth comes from God and is to be used for kingdom purposes, not for our own kingdoms and our own purposes. We're going to unpack all of this together this morning. And so the first thing, if you're following along, and taking notes is simply this idea. Don't waste it. Don't waste the money that God has given to you. In verses 1 and 2, we read, The master has put the manager in charge of all of his books, but the manager has wasted it. And he has not done a good job of managing his master's money. And so the master calls the manager in and says, hey, you've been wasting my money. I want you to go and get the books because guess what? You're about to be fired. 
if God is the master and we are the manager, what God is saying is, all of it belongs to me. I have put you in charge of what I have given you. And that's the overarching principle this morning. It all belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. You, you and I don't own anything. It's all on loan, right? Our very lives, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our bodies are not our own. They've been given to us by God. And so we are to honor God with our bodies. We think about yeah, our time and our talents and our treasure, our resources, everything that we have, all the gifts that we have, have been given to us by God. Meaning God is the boss. God is the master. And we are to manage the gifts that he has given us well. The question is, how are we doing? Taking care of God's property, our finances, our own bodies, the, the resources and the talents that God has given to us. Are we using them for kingdom purposes or are we using them for our own selfish pursuits? I want you to understand this. When you waste your money, you waste God's money. When you waste your time, you waste God's time. When you waste your talents on the things that don't really matter, you are wasting God's talents. And when I think about my own life, I waste it on a lot of things that don't really matter. And so I'm being challenged to say, to use the things that God has given me well. Which leads to a second thought. Don't trust money. Right? Don't trust money. How you and I use money is a trust issue. So do I use it for my own security or do I use it for someone else and to bless someone else? Notice, by the way, verse 3 of our passage. The manager knows that he's about to lose his job. He knows that he's about to lose his sense of security. And you and I know if you have ever lost your job, you suddenly lose your sense of security. And the point that's being made is, don't put your security in the kind of things that can be taken away from you. You know, if you put your security in your appearance, what happens when you get into an accident and you're disfigured, right? If you put your security in your finances or in your house, what happens when the stock market crashes or there's a housing bubble that bursts? Like, wh what? Right? You lose that sense of security. You know, if you put it in your health, what happens when the doctor comes in and says, hey, look, I found something, needs more testing. What? All of a sudden, that sense of security is gone. This is why it's important. Proverbs 23, 5 says this. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings 
and fly away like an eagle. How many of us have ever experienced that? If you have kids, your money just flies away, right? You understand that, how quickly it is. And you know this truth too. As quickly as it comes in, it's very easy to spend it. And sometimes what happens, you spend what you make. So you think, well, I'll just save this extra income. And what happens? You spend it, right? It seems to fly away. This is why we need to put our security in what can never be taken away from us. We put our security in Christ Jesus because he is the master who owns it all. Now, knowing that he's about to get fired, what does this guy say to himself? He says, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. That's kind of funny. Like, he knows himself, right? He's like, too old, I'm too weak, I don't like manual labor, I'm not going to work, and I'm too proud to beg, right? So he knows himself well, and so he's like, all right, what am I going to do? And so he decides, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And so he devises a plan. You know, in today's day and age, I've been in church a long time, and I've seen a lot of people get fired from their jobs. What happens, right? You get called back into HR. They inform you that you have been let go from the company. And when you go back out to your desk, there is a box that's there. There are people that are standing there. All your things have been packed up into the box, and they escort you out of the building. You can't even say goodbye to the people that are there. You can't log in. They just simply escort you out, right? So this guy is very aware of the fact that he is about to get fired. But instead of just having a box packed up, his manager says, hey, or his master says, go get my books and bring them back. So he has a little bit of time to what? Cook the books. And he says, I know what I'm going to do. This is why maybe uh, companies decide to do that sort of thing, right? Where there's just a box and they kick you out the building so you can't do something like this. So what does he say? I know what I'm going to do to provide for my future. I'm going to help other people out. And so if I kind of take a little bit off the bill that they owe my master, well, then when I'm out of a job, they'll owe me. And so then I'll be able to go ahead and maybe live with them or have a home or, or whatever. And so he changes the amounts that are owed to his boss. Now here's the thing. As unscrupulous as this is, Jesus actually commends him. And why does he do that? What Jesus is commending, as we've said, is he looked ahead. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, he looked at the situation and he said to himself, well, what am I going to do now? And so the master praises the manager for the fact that he was actually thinking ahead about his own future welfare. The guy didn't say, well, someday I'll get my finances in order. You and I know that when we say, well, one of these days, what we actually mean is none of these days right? 
one of these days I'm going to do this. And you don't do it. And it becomes none of these days. And he says, you know what? I'm going to bless the people that are around me. And so what he finds himself doing is saying, you know what? As I bless them, they are going to bless me. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that the people of the world demonstrate an astuteness when it comes to finances that the people of light can actually learn from. Think about it. Every single day you are walking past people and they're on the phone with their financial advisors, right? They're, they're looking at the stock market. They're, they're making these decisions. They're checking facts and figures. They are carefully planning for their future. They're budgeting. But notice, all of them are budgeting for their earthly future. And what Jesus is saying in this is, as a child of light, are you as aggressive in your planning for your eternal future as the people on this earth are planning for their earthly future? Probably not. Which is why in verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, as I said before, is Jesus saying, this is how you win friends and influence people. You give your master's money to someone else. Right? Is Jesus saying here, well, you can just simply buy your friends so that they will in return bless you? Of course not. It's not what Jesus is saying. What he's talking about here is you can't buy your way into heaven. And he's not saying that you can buy your friends. But what he is saying is that you should use the financial resources that you have been given to bless the people around you. And as you bless the people around you, you are demonstrating a heart that says, God, I understand it belongs to you and not myself. And I pray that through giving in some way, it may open up the conversation to spiritual conversations that eventually point towards heaven. God is a child of light. I want to know that as I'm giving, it's preparing me for heaven, and it may also be preparing others for heaven. I want you to understand this. This is about using your physical affluence for spiritual influence. I'll preach. You use your physical affluence for spiritual influence. All the gifts, all the resources, all the blessings that God has given to us have been done so, so that we can minister to others. You know, I think about that day that we blessed that young man. And, and I got to tell you that as a poor church planter's family, opening up my wallet like that was not something that I necessarily wanted to do. Nor did I feel like I really had the ability to do it. But I'm going to tell you, I don't even know how much it was, 40 60 $80. I, I, don't know, I don't know. 
But you know what? To this day, my bank account doesn't care what it was. Do you think I would have, I mean, I would have spent that 40 or 60 or 80 dollars somewhere else. Uh, my, that physical affluence, whatever little it was, I don't even know how much it was. I don't even, I don't even know if my bank account cares what it was. But you know what I do know? Is that it blessed that young man. There, there was spiritual influence that took place in that act. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we do those kinds of things, years later, we may not even miss what we give financially, but we know what happens when we get to bless somebody else with that spiritual influence. I want you to think about how are you planning ahead in order to bless and help other people? Are, are you budgeting in such a way that you are seeking to give away so that someone else can experience that spiritual influence. You know, you think about the money that you give. How, how many people could be in heaven as a result? See, you and I, we don't think about it, but we, we saw a video just a little while ago. And... You know, you think, well, you know, here's a few bucks that I give to some kid in Dominican Republic who I, I may never meet. But you have no idea if through that money a book is bought that leads a young child to Christ. See, you're thinking about your finances in a way that says it's not about me, it's about giving it away. Think about that. I mean, what if you just bought a book and gave it to a neighbor? And you had these spiritual conversations as a result. What if you took a friend, a meal? What if you took them out to eat? You know, what if you looked at, you know, somebody's electric bill or their gas bill as things are getting colder out? Like, you're like, hey, could I, could I just bless you in this way? Maybe some of you have an extra car sitting around, and you're like, you know what, I just want to bless somebody else who doesn't have a ride. You know, these are, there are all kinds of ways where you can use that, that physical affluence that you've been given for spiritual influence in someone else's life. Second, I want you to see and understand that money is a test, it is a trust, and it is a tool. Jesus says in verses 10 to 12, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, one of the things that we need to understand is Jesus gives us our finances and can test us with it. He can see if you are managing your money well. And the idea is, if you have been entrusted with little and you are managing that little well, all right, I can trust you with more. But understand, this is more than just about earthly finances. This is about eternity. He's saying, if you have been entrusted with a little here on this earth. Can I trust you with the things of heaven? Money often indicates what, who, and why you love the things that you do. Money often has a lot to say about you, but it also says something about who you are. 
Because you can say things, but it's what you do with it that matters. I can say to Nicole, I love you. But then, if I spend most of my time out with the guys, and I spend most of my money on those things, my spouse will wonder, well, you say you love me, but you don't seem to want to spend any time or anything on me. Right? It's the same thing when it comes to life. You know, you look at your calendar and look at your credit card statement. Those things will indicate who and what you love the most. So the point is, you can say, God, I love you, but then when I take a look at my life, well, what it seems to show is that I don't actually love you. It's having what you say and what you do line up. And so when I say, I love God, do I put my trust in finances or do I put my trust in God? Am I building up treasures on earth or am I building up treasures in heaven? So money can be a test, but I want you to understand it is also a tool. Money is a tool. It can be used for both incredible good as well as incredible evil, right? Money in and of itself is not evil. It's what you choose to do with it, right? You can use money for bombs or you can use it for Bibles, right? You could use it for meth or you could use it for ministry. You know, think about it. We can use it for prideful things or you can use it for purposeful things. And what God is saying is when it comes to our worldly wealth, I want you to use it to give and to benefit others. I'm sure you've heard this statement before, but it probably bears repeating again. It's that we love people and we use money. We don't love money and use people. What Jesus makes clear is that if we use our money and people to get more money, that if we worship money, that if we hoard money, then we are not living as children of light. He says we are living as children of the world. You know, maybe some of you have heard this statement. Money is like manure. If you spread it around, it makes things grow. But if you pile it up, it stinks. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And this is why Jesus gives the spiritual principle of the story. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. And so if you want to know what the abundant life looks like, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. The first is this, am I a child of light? What does it mean to be a child of light? 
It means that you understand that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and that he is resurrected to eternal life. And when you choose to have a relationship with Jesus, that you say, I want my life to be about you, Jesus, that we have the promise of eternal life in heaven. That's what it means to be a child of light. And from that, when you're saying, God, you are my master, and I want to manage everything that you have given to me, then you can ask the next question is, does the way in which I give of my time, my talent, and my treasure reflect that I am a child of light? With whatever you have, are you seeking to give to God? Or are you seeking to build up your own kingdom? The question we have to answer is, who is your master? Is it God or is it money? Now this morning, a couple weeks ago, I had said, would anybody be willing to, to share a story? I, I had somebody lined up who was going to be sharing their story today, and I, I had gotten a phone call, a message that they weren't feeling well and weren't going to be able to make it. Uh, so, I want to be thinking about testimonies, uh, the stories of what God has been doing as we have sought to give our finances away. But you know what? I'll close with another story. Uh, a number of months after this event had taken place at Chili's, uh, a group of three of us who were at the meal that day uh, got tickets to go to an escape room. And so we had gone down. It was about a half hour in Sarasota, a half hour south of where we, were, uh, of where we lived. And uh, it was an evening where I think it was like around 7 o'clock or whatever time it was when this event started. So we had gotten down there, and it was just the, the three of us couples together. And uh, when we got in there, they said, oh, there was one other couple that signed up to, to be here. We're like, oh, come on. We don't want to do this with anybody else. We, we signed up as friends we want to do it together as friends. And so we kind of waited and waited. And he said, okay, look, if the people don't show up at whatever time, 7 o'clock, he said, I'll let you guys go in on your own. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're finally, it's about 7 o'clock. I'm like, all right, we're going to get to go in. And right at the last moment, this car pulls into the parking lot. And this couple gets out and they start working their way towards the door. I'm like, oh, nuts, you know? Well, what did you know? Who walks in through the door but this waiter and his girlfriend, right? And we saw him, and we were like, no way! And he's, he swore, you know, he's like, oh, man! And then he turns to his girlfriend, and he's like, these are the people who blessed us that day. And immediately, in that moment, I thought to myself, now I get locked in a room with this guy for the next hour. All right, you know? We're going to have some gospel conversations together. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's, there were not a lot of gospel conversations when you're trying to figure out how to get out of an escape room. But what I loved about it is for the next hour, this young man got to see a bunch of Christians hang out together and have fun. He, he knew that these were people who loved him and who blessed him. Now, I don't know his story. I never saw him again. But what I do know 
is for a season, he had a bunch of Christians in his life who were pouring into him, who were using their physical affluence for spiritual influence. And I believe that to this very day, he remembers that. And I pray that God is going to be using that in his life to bring about salvation for this young man. And you know, it makes me think, as you and I as a church come upon uh, our, the end of our budget season, your elders have been so faithful together with your treasurer to try to plan a budget for next year. And we are so thankful for all those of you who have already turned in your pledge cards and who have said, you know what, this is what I pledge. And we base all of our budget on those pledge cards. But beloved people, you need to understand this. In this past year, we've had a number of people go home to be with the Lord. And we've had a number of families move away from the life of our church. And uh, for our budget next year, we've had to cut about $30,000 out of our budget. And the reason is because we go into each year, we try to go in with a balanced budget. We don't want to say it, go in with a deficit budget. But what that means is that we have had to make cuts in different ways. And now, this is in no way meant to guilt you into anything, but it is to remind us of the importance of what it means when we give to Christ's church, when we give to this community, we have opportunities to bless not only this community, but uh, the world that is around us. So I would just say this. I, this was not even planned this morning, uh, but if you have not turned in your pledge card, but you would like to say, hey, I know that I can pledge this much, we base our budget off of that. It would be such a blessing to your elders and to the treasurer of our church. And then whatever the time and the talents that you have, Look, beloved people, we see this so often in the life of the church, right? It's that old 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of your people are volunteering for 80% of the things that happen at church. If you're not involved in some way out of a Sunday morning experience, and if your greatest gift to our church is simply to come and to go, we're glad you're here. But boy, when, it talk, when we talk about gathering, a disciple also grows, and they get involved, and they give, and then they go, and they serve, and so I want you just to be thinking about ways in which God perhaps this morning is challenging you in, in some of these areas to say, God, how can I use the gifts that you have given to me in order to bless this church community, but far more than that, to bless the very kingdom of God, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to this world that so desperately needs his hope, his truth, and his life. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come and we give you thanks for all of the gifts that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we have been given and for the opportunities that you give to us to give back to you with our time and our talents 
and our treasure. And God, what we pray is that in all of these things, we would hold on to the things of this world loosely so that we can be a people who are living in light and living on mission. God, may you use all that we have been given for the honor and glory of Christ Jesus and his church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.